Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. I know, I know, I know. I promised you something other than another episode of Buker Friendless. By the way, this is Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1. You can read me on Bleacher Report. And you can follow me on Twitter. So, the plan was to provide you a conversation I had with Blake Griffin for days, today's podcast. Conversation, actually, there's two of them, and we will play them for you eventually. But had two of them from a story that I recently did, talking to him about the, the various things that went into his move from L.A. to Detroit, how he acclimated, some of the things that happened in L.A. that I wanted more information on that he hadn't talked about. I will, I promise, you are going to hear that at some point. But uh, I previewed that in the previous podcast, forgetting that the NBA draft lottery was happening. <laughs> Oops. Now, not, not every draft lottery might be worthy of putting on hold the release of a Blake Griffin conversation, but this one was. Largely because of the mania surrounding Zion Williamson, which I find really amusing for a multitude of reasons, not the least of which is I'm trying to imagine exactly what or who fans think he is going to be as a player in the NBA. Based on the hysteria, I get the sense that at least some fans, including a healthy number in New York, expect him to be some combination of LeBron James, Derrick Rose, and Carl Malone. Maybe a little Shaquille O'Neal thrown in there as well. I don't know how they reached that conclusion, but the anguish Knicks fans expressed in not getting the number one pick and concurrently the glee other fans took in tormenting Knicks fans, yeah, I see you Philadelphia 76ers fans, over not getting Zion makes it clear that there are people who believe he is a lock to be the NBA's next transcendent player. I'm not so sure. Not yet, anyway. He very well might. He certainly has the athletic talent to be. But being the greatest player in the league, or simply one of the greatest, requires so much more than that. I mean, I, I'm probably telling you something you already know, but I feel as if it needs to be stated or people need to be reminded. And it's way more than Zion ever demonstrated at Duke. He's an exciting, entertaining player who dunks like a madman. You know who else was like that? Amari Stoudemire. Are you ready for Zion to be the next Amari? 
If you are, cool. Stoudemire arrived out of high school with a mid-range jumper that Zion does not have, but Zion has a lightness on his feet, despite being stockier, which will serve him well, scoring garbage points and collecting offensive rebounds. And I know what you're saying. Garbage points? Offensive rebounds? This guy's a god. Well, at the NBA level, it's a thinking man's game. It's a skill game. What Zion has showed me is that he can overpower people at the collegiate level. And I imagine there's plenty of people that he's going to be able to overpower at the NBA level. But not everybody. And overpowering people is not enough to go to the playoffs, to win championships, to be a great player. There's no physically overpowering people in the NBA. If there was, Ben Simmons wouldn't need a jump shot. So the hysteria would suggest all of you expect him to be a lot more than a energy guy. And I'm not saying he's only going to be an energy guy. But he, to this point, has demonstrated he is a super energy guy. And there's, there's talent. Now, I'm not suggesting there's not. But the way the NBA game is played and what, again, where the bar is set for Zion, he's going to have to be, I mean, he, he's supposed to orchestrate championships. Emphasis on orchestrate. You know, the same way Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and Dario Saric and Jaleel Okafor and Markel Fultz were supposed to. Now think about that for a second. Just for a second, when we get all hot and bothered about what having the number one pick means, or even one of the top picks. The Sixers had nine first-round picks over nine years. Four of them were top three picks. Two were number one, two were number three. And they're still a second-round-and-out team. Knocked out, no less, by a team in the Raptors that has had five first-round picks over that same span, and none of them higher than the ninth pick. And, by the way, is based in a foreign country with brutally cold winters that makes it a challenge to attract free agents. So, can we just slow our roll a little bit? This is my point. The Knicks striking out in free agency this summer would, or should, be way more demoralizing than slipping from third to first in the draft order. Yes, it would have been nice to have the number one pick or maybe even the number two pick, although that presumably would mean you're getting John Morant. And if Kyrie Irving is coming, I don't know that you're taking John Morant. So that would have complicated matters. But it would have been nice to have the number one pick, especially if New Orleans didn't move up in the lottery because it would have put the Knicks in the driver's seat to acquire Anthony Davis. Not that the Knicks' summer hinges on getting Davis. It hinges, at this point, on getting a major star to build around, or two. And by build around, I mean someone other than Kyrie Irving. He's a major star, but not one I would want as my first building block. It's like building around Carmelo Anthony. When a guy is your best player, but isn't a leader, you've created a problem for yourself. Now you have to find someone who can be a leader even if they aren't the best player on the team. Someone who the best player on the team respects and will follow even though he's better. Now, all that 
is easier said than done, way easier said than done on an NBA team. And don't act as if NBA players are any different than you and me, as if this is just a reflection of NBA players being difficult. None of us jumps up and does what a colleague wants us to do if we believe he or she doesn't know what they're doing or doesn't do it as well as we do. You might do what he or she asks because you want to, you want to keep your job or you don't want to be a jerk, but are you going to do it with energy and excitement? Eh, not so sure. In fact, doubtful. You'd fake it. You'd do it the best you can. You'd go along. But enthusiastically? And look, the difference in the NBA is the enthusiasm with which players perform together is often the difference between winning or losing. It's not the teams don't play together. Every team does that to a certain extent. You have very few full-out mutinies. Look at the Boston Celtics. For as disappointing as they were, they did play together to a certain extent. It just wasn't together together. It's to what degree are they playing together? I know some of you believe the Warriors are great because they have the most talent. And yes, their core is the most talented in the league. But I've seen plenty of teams, we all have, who were one of the most talented, if not the most talented in the league, not come close to proving that on the court. Why? Because they didn't synthesize their talent to its maximum capability. Either they didn't know how, or... There was some resistance that made them not want to. They left a lot on the proverbial table. The Warriors are doing what they're doing and have done because they've been able to create this collective bond. You're seeing it now. It's something I'm going to get to before the end of the podcast that has me rethinking a position of mine. Look, if I have a a TV or radio co-host or podcast host, who knows how to push me and make me better, who every now and then does something where I say, Dan, that was good. I didn't think of that. Or, uh, man, I wish I had done that or said that. Someone who inspires me. Look, I don't care if his or her resume isn't as impressive as mine or even if I'm supposed to be the star of the show. I'm going to listen to what they have to say and execute it as best as I can. I'm going to be eager to work with them. I'm going to be eager to hear what it is that they think we should do. Doesn't mean I'm all, we're always going to do that, but I'm looking forward to working with them. I'm sure all of you have had that experience. Somebody you love working with, it's not work. It's exciting. You know that whatever you can do together is more than you can do individually, no matter how confident you are in your abilities. On the other hand, if that colleague is constantly making mistakes or proposing bad ideas, or you just kind of look at them and say, you know what, (laughs) I'm carrying this thing. You're going to be more inclined to come up with alternate plans or be a little hesitant to buy into whatever they're selling. Which brings brings me to the Pelicans. I don't know if you guys remember, once upon a time, the Pelicans and their fans were over the moon about landing the number one pick. I mean, this is what I find really funny about the hysteria around Zion Williamson. Pelicans got Anthony Davis, number one pick. Oh, thank heavens, because there really was nobody else in that draft. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist went 
Second to Charlotte. Bradley Beal to the Wizards. Third. Deion Waiters to Cleveland. Thomas Robinson to Sacramento. You know, it's not until we get to, oh, Damian Lillard to Portland at number six. How about that? I could go down the list. But it's fair to say, to this point, even for the Davis fans, Damian Lillard has accomplished more in his career at this point at number six than Anthony Davis has. Bradley Beal and nice player. I mean, I, I just look at the the players who have done something and the players that you would take now, far different. That's not the way that draft played. But once upon a time, the Pelicans and their fans were over the moon about AD. I mean, how did that, or has that turned out? Other than the fact that he no longer wants to be on your team. I'll tell you. It took three years just to make the playoffs. It took another six years to win a playoff round. In all, that's two playoff appearances in seven years. Knicks fans, this is for you. If Zion, if you got Zion and he gave you that, would you be happy? Would you be fulfilled? Is that what you're expecting? Is that what you feel you missed out on because you didn't get Zion Williamson? Hell no. So why are you so distraught about losing out on Zion. Hell, Amari gave you three playoff appearances in four and a half seasons. And while he earned a place in your hearts, it wasn't as if you were satisfied. And that was with Chauncey Billups and Jason Kidd and a host of other key pieces and veterans. Carmelo Anthony included. Amari didn't lead you anywhere on his own. And look, I'm aware that Amari was battling knee issues at that point in his career. But again, here's my point. There is so much more that goes into building a title contending franchise than getting the number one pick or getting someone with Zion's potential. How many examples do we need? Just recently, I'm sure on some level, you look at the 76ers and say, yeah, that's better than what we've had. And I agree with you. It is. But they lost for four years. They supposedly had cracked the code. And now they have some difficult decisions to make. I, mean, I still look at the possibilities that the Knicks have right now with all that cap space and all the indications that Kevin Durant wants to go there and the number three pick and finding a guy like Mitchell Robinson. They're doing all the right things. I happen to believe in the people that are now in charge of the Knicks. And I couldn't always say that. But I can about Steve Mills, Scott Perry, and David Fisdale. They have a track record. This is not me just being excited about them because I happen to know them well. They have a track record of knowing how this league works. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I know them well. I wanted to know them well. Because... They're good at what they do. They know how this league works and what needs to be done to be successful. They're my kind of people and they're both grinders and they're smart. Scott and Fizz have both been part not only of championship organizations, but ones that had sustained success. They know what that looks like. They know what it looks like to build championship teams, not just to be part of one, but to build one. 
They know the roadmap to get there because they've been around to follow it. Now, I don't know if they'll get there. I don't know if owner James Dolan will let them. But having the number three pick rather than the number one or not getting Zion Williamson is a long way from deciding that. Now, if there's a domino effect, if the Pelicans getting the number one pick and the Knicks falling to number three means that they can't make a deal for Anthony Davis, which in turn means Kevin Durant doesn't come to the Knicks, which just to be clear, I've never heard as a prerequisite for KD to go to New York, and I've actually never heard any prerequisites for KD to make that move. But if all that turned out to be true, then there might be reason to curse the basketball gods for the way the lottery turned out. But none of that has happened, and I don't have any reason to believe those dots will ever deserve being connected. This will be a draft lottery, though, that keeps on giving. That's for sure. Conversation does not end with this order, more so than any draft lottery result in recent memory. Because there's the prospect of the Lakers and Knicks potentially competing to put trade packages around their fourth and third picks, respectively, to try to get AD. There is the Memphis Grizzlies landing the second pick, which lines them up to take Morant, which makes Mike Conley even more expendable than the Grizzlies made him at the trade deadline after they decide to blow it up. Along with that, don't be surprised as of right now, don't be surprised if Conley winds up in Orlando for a package that sends DJ Augustine the other way. DJ would be the perfect veteran point guard to play alongside Morant and bring him along. Same way Luke Ridenauer did for Russ Westbrook and a few others. Or back in the day, Norm Nixon did for a young Magic Johnson. If, if, if the Grizzlies are smart, that's the approach that they will take. And I'm, my understanding is their bidding or their demands for Conley have fallen off since they weren't able to do anything at the trade deadline. He's got a big contract. And it sounds good that there's a lot of teams that could use him, but they're not a lot of teams that are capable of fitting him in. Could the Sixers be better with a Mike Conley? Yeah, I think they could. Are the Sixers in position to make a deal for a Mike Conley? Not really. Lakers? Not really. So don't be surprised if he winds up in Orlando. And uh, and I know what you should be thinking if you're not, which is, okay, what, what about the Phoenix Suns? They could certainly use one, especially now that they they weren't able to line themselves up for Morant. By the way, the look on DeAndre Ayton's face when their, when their placard came up was priceless. Uh, I would, as of right now, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I am hearing, this is more than me just speculating, I am hearing you could potentially see D'Angelo Russell wind up with the Phoenix Suns, which just when I heard it, and I haven't heard it from a lot of places, I heard it from one place, I'll be honest. Those are one of those that makes a lot of sense. First of all, they need a point guard. Two, D'Angelo is boys with Devin Booker. And Booker's going to get what Booker wants. I think he's, he's, when I look at the makeup of that organization right now, Booker has the owner's ear. And I don't see the Nets going overboard to retain D'Angelo. I think Sean Marks, their GM, knows Russell had a nice rebound year. Uh, he's a nice point guard. 
but he's not an extraordinary one. And he'll undoubtedly be looking for an extraordinary pay bump, and I could see the Suns happily paying it. It just makes all kinds of sense. Uh, As an aside, I'm also seeing a lot of people retweet a piece of news I put out in 2017 when the Kings traded DeMarcus Cousins to the Pelicans. And there were rumors about, you know, there was another offer that they had was actually a better one than the one that uh, they ended up taking with New Orleans. I thought it was originally Orlando, but Orlando apparently got very uncertain. I mean, they just, they decided they couldn't handle DeMarcus Cousins. So they just, they bailed. It turned out it was New Orleans that had made the better offer. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Just days or a week or so before they finally closed the deal. And what um, they got cold feet about whether they're going to be able to resign cousins or whether it was going to work, or at least that's how they pitched it to the Kings. And so the Kings accepted a second round pick in 2017 rather than the Pelicans' 2019 first-round pick. Yeah, that's right. The Kings could have potentially had this year's number one pick, could have had Zion Williamson, which a lot of people are now putting out there. Which I, Look, I'm impressed that you guys went back and found that and are now putting it out there. I'm impressed. I also I talk about searching, uh, you know, or using a searchlight to find reasons to play the what-if game. Man, why, why would you guys do that? If you're a Kings fan, don't do that. First of all, that was the extent of my report, if I'm not mistaken. I never talked about whether New Orleans would have put protections on that pick. Chances are pretty high that they would have. They would have protected it top, I don't know, three, I would think, or two at least, if they were really looking ahead to what the prospects were in terms of who would be in this draft. But so bottom line is, okay, so maybe you would have made the deal and maybe you would have had this pick, but you wouldn't have wound up with the number one pick because it would have been protected. And that's just a maybe, but it's all a maybe. I mean, there's so many different things that could have happened between now and then to say, you know what? If only, if only. (laughs) I just Now, I'm going to attribute all this to the hysteria over what fans are imagining Zion to be. And maybe this is a byproduct of social media or that we 
we are all more conscious of when people are going getting hysterical that we get to actually hear the screams and the shouts and the facial expressions and the dancing around the room because we weren't always privy to that and i don't know if you know what percentage of fans out there are feeling this way what what percentage of Knicks fans are feeling like oh our chances have been ruined i don't know but i know that there are some which again is amusing to me because I look at the body of work of what we know about Zion Williamson right now. He was a YouTube sensation. He was a box office draw in college. Did they win an NCAA championship? No. He couldn't save him from that. With a lot of talent, not just Zion, but a lot of talent around Zion. And it wasn't good enough. By all appearances, he has a great personality, great work ethic, and he's an athlete of epic capability. Not denying that. He is, he's a freak of nature. Even by NBA terms, he's a freak of nature. But let's be clear. It takes way more than that to be the centerpiece of a title contending team in the NBA. And I'm under the impression or the assumption, I'm making the assumption that Knicks fans or any other fan base that wanted Zion that that's what you're looking for. You're not looking just to be entertained. You're not looking for the next Zach Levine or Aaron Gordon. Now look, Zion could turn out to be the next mega superstar and still not lead a team back to a title or some other commensurate glory if he's not on the right team. It's why, look, again, with AD... I don't know that AD has ever made the most of his abilities and has never had the opportunity. For whatever reason, New Orleans hasn't been able to put the pieces around him to get the most out of him. They've tried. But again, this is the difficulty. When your best player is not your leader, it's always a workaround. I've just never seen that work and win titles or be a perennial title contender. By the way, I know we have a very high profile set of listeners to Buker and friends. And I know that a lot of you fly privately and no doubt fly privately into the New York metro area. And the reason you fly private is to avoid delays. So when flying into New York City, Republic Jet Center in Farmingdale, New York, should be your only choice. Don't get caught up in delays. If you choose Republic Jet Center, you'll experience all the reasons why you chose to fly privately. Teterboro and White Plains constantly stacked up. You never know when that great idea of being able to get in, get on, and get out is delayed. Doesn't happen at the Republic Jet Center. It's a proud part of the Signature Flight Support Network, and getting to the city is as quick as a 12-minute helicopter ride, which they can arrange for you. They also have a luxurious lobby. It's a 100,000 square foot facility. They've just redone it. Provide self-serve snacks, beverages. They got a contemporary lounge. And if you need dinner reservations set up, concierge will gladly assist to make accommodations, ground transportation, you name it. Their comprehensive white glove FBO service is the reason why you guys are flying private in the first place. And they have a great deal for you. Mention this ad and you'll get a discount on your fuel, courtesy of Buker and Friends.
Visit them at www.republicjetcenter.com or call them at 631-881-9520 for more information. They look forward to seeing you. Speaking of winning titles, as you probably know, you've listened to the podcast or you've seen me, my various platforms, seen or heard me, I've said all year that I believe the Warriors are going to fall short in their bid to three-peat this year. I've said it since the beginning of the year. And it wasn't that I thought that there was one team clearly better than them. But I felt the combination of a depleted bench and the wear and tear of making a fifth consecutive run to the finals would leave them vulnerable for whoever won the East. And especially because there were so many top teams in the East that I thought had the requisite ingredients, particularly one, to beat the Warriors. Now, when Steve Kerr started his best five, the Hampton Five, Andre Iguodala in with KD and Steph and Clay and Draymond, and it wasn't enough to win game four, I thought, here we go. Same with Clay and Steph rolling their ankles, Steph dislocating the middle finger on his left hand, KD straining his calf. I thought, this is, exa- is exactly what I thought would happen. I thought that they would physically break down along the way and wouldn't have the requisite firepower off the bench to protect them. It wasn't going to be a, a lack of desire or ability. It was just going to be the physical beatdown. And when I saw all this happening, I felt as if my prophecy was unfolding exactly as I had expected. Now, I also expected as a result of KD going down and Steph being hampered, I thought the Rockets would win game six and I thought they could push game seven. Wasn't convinced that even without KD that the Warriors couldn't win it, but I thought I thought they, I thought they could lose it. I thought it was a possibility for sure. And I thought for certain they were going to lose game six, which would have put them on even footing with whoever won the Blazers-Nuggets series, since I expected that would go seven. This is what I did not expect. That Kerr would be able to turn to such unproven and seldom used players as Alfonso McKinney and Quinn Cook and Jonas Jarepko and get away with it. That they would all play significant minutes in a closeout game on the road against the Rockets. Or that Kevon Looney could defend, crash the boards, and score just enough to be part of the regular rotation. I mean, what player, what role player sees his minutes and his usage go up from the regular season to the playoffs? It's usually the other way around. If you're not a definitive, we rely on you all the time, things get trimmed back. Looney's not only done it, done it this year, he did it last year, which maybe I should have taken a cue from, but he got to the Cavs, and we'll see what happens in these finals. I mean, he really didn't play in the finals. That was my last memory of, of, of Looney. How much do you, does Steve Kerr really trust him when... He didn't find a way to use him, barely used him, against the Cavs on the last stage. But all of this 
is basically me saying, I believe now there's a chance the Warriors actually pull this off. It's lining up perfectly for them. And sometimes things just happen. It's not by design. Like if Steve Kerr had gone to his bench and started Andrew Bogut and did what he did in game six and it didn't work, if Quinn Cook had just gotten abused and ended up being a close game that the Rockets won, I guarantee you people would have questioned, what was Steve Kerr doing? But it worked out. And so once again, he's a genius. And part of it worked out. It, it worked out. There was some pre-planning to this. First of all, Kerr made sure that his guys knew, hey, I'm going to be going to the bench a lot. I haven't, but I'm going to. I'm going to count on you. And he sent that message at various times all year long. Kerr doesn't really have a doghouse. Jordan Bell got into, you know, in a bad way because of something that happened off the court in, what was it I, I heard? He was, um, it was porn, if I'm not mistaken. That's what he was charging to Mike Brown's account in Memphis. Uh, along with some candles, maybe. I mean, everybody said it was candles. I've heard that it was porn. And what ticked people off or was that, you know, what that would do. If that got out or the impression that it made on Mike Brown, it was just, it's a bad, it's a bad move. And apparently, I've also heard it might not have been the first time that he did it. So, didn't learn the lesson. In any event, uh, Jordan Bell, still not in the proverbial doghouse. Much like Mike D'Antoni, my understanding is like, this is not a doghouse necessarily, but if you're not, if you're Kenneth Reed, for example, who I thought he should have tried to play to see if he could get something out of him as a change up in the same way that what Steve Kerr did. I was disappointed that Mike D'Antoni didn't do that, but that is the way Mike D'Antoni generally operates. I've had a couple of players who played for him who've told me that he would even tell them, hey, be ready. I'm going to you tonight. And then he wouldn't play them for whatever reason. And he may have had his reasons. I'm not trying to take D'Antoni down a peg or blame him for what happened with the Rockets, but it's just it's different, different way to approach things. Steve Kerr keeps everybody on point through the course of the year, uses them in key situations, learned it from Phil Jackson, like always wants them to feel as if, hey, I still believe in you. We're still going to need you at some point. Stay ready. And that means a lot. And it obviously means a lot now. Because whew, what he got out of his bench in game six and then game one against the Blazers. As I said, it's lining up perfectly. And I don't know if Kerr would have gone to his bench as liberally as he did if Steph didn't have a bad finger and KD was out. But he did. And he discovered he has a few guys who are up to the challenge. And I do not expect that to change as far as how much he goes to them. If game one versus the Blazers is any indication, this could also be a short series. While I'm expecting that Raptors Bucks in the East is going to be a long one. Which means the Warriors get a chance to recharge their batteries before they go to the finals and they say, all right, let's strap it up one more time. We need four wins. And they're going to be doing it against a team that largely doesn't have 
NBA Finals experience. And yes, that last stage does matter. I also expected that they would lose once they got to the finals because I expected that they would be facing the Celtics. And Boston did have all the ingredients to beat the Warriors, both at their own game, small ball, and even force them to play a different one, as in big ball. And, uh, and while I was in the building when they just destroyed the Warriors at Oracle uh, late in the season, it wasn't just based on that. But I thought that was a little bit of an indicator. They have had experience, toughness, one-on-one defenders, and a closer, obviously, who is very familiar with the Warriors and understandably oozing in confidence when facing them. And that's Kyrie Irving. Do the Bucks or the Raptors have that? I mean, even for all the experience that Kawhi Leonard has, he's never had to do it against the Warriors. Now, the Raptors and Bucks might have the necessary ingredients, but I don't know that. And I'm skeptical about the Bucks simply because, and I'm sure Milwaukee fans are tired of this being pointed out, but it's no less true, their best player, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he's not the player that they go to with the game on the line. Can Chris Middleton or Eric Bledsoe? Again, this is something that Ryan Hollins brings up all the time. You have to have that freak. Giannis Antetokounmpo is that freak who can get his shot against almost anyone. But is he going to take that shot? He's not going to take a three. If he does take a three... I'm not counting on that he is going to make it with the game on the line. So it ends up being someone else who has to take and make that shot. Now, as we saw, Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors don't have that problem. I still feel, too, that Milwaukee hasn't faced anything close to the tests. Certainly not the tests the Raptors have faced. Let's face it. Pistons, with Blake Griffin playing on one leg, that was a bad matchup even with a healthy Blake Griffin. The Boston Celtics, Boston Celtics showed what they were capable in game in game one, and for Bucks fans who are saying I'm not giving them enough credit for what happened in the next four games, you might be right, but let's face it. The Celtics did a lot to themselves. They did not test the Bucks. They weren't the same team in games two through five that they were in game one. They didn't play the same way. I don't know that the Bucks made them do that as much as they didn't do it. Celtics were far more fractured than I imagined. Either way, I'll be shocked if this Raptors-Bucks series isn't a long one. And with so many players on both teams having no finals experience, tasting it for the first time, fatigued and beat up, from a seven-game series to face the revived Warriors wouldn't be ideal. You're seeing a little bit of that with the Blazers right now. Now, the only new wrinkle for the Warriors is, as Steph Curry told me just the other day, is that they'll have to find new restaurants and a new routine after spending the last four Junes playing in Cleveland. I actually hadn't hadn't thought about that, but that, that is true. It's Milwaukee or Toronto, and routines do matter. I just don't know if it's going to matter enough I think, they, I think they might be able to handle that part of it if everything else is on par. All right, that does it for this episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United WeCast Network. Uh, shout out, by the way, to uh, Age Groupie. It's one of our network podcast partners, Lindsay Hyken, 
just became an Iron Man or an Iron Woman. She was on the course for like 14 hours to get that done. Congratulations to her. If you haven't checked it out, check out the podcast, especially the next one, because it's going to be about what that experience was like in becoming an Iron Woman. She had never imagined it. It wasn't like this was a life goal. In fact, it wasn't all that long ago that she never dreamed of being what she occasionally accidentally fell upon on TV. In any case, shout out to her. Um, And by the way, if you like our podcast, look, we're getting very close. Uh, We just need a couple more ratings on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. All you got to do is click the stars, screenshot it, and send it to at Buker Friends. And once we have a total of 100, we're in the 90s right now, then we will have a drawing and we will give out some prizes. Probably not the same exciting prizes. I think they might be. One of them is a Joel Embiid t-shirt from the Game of Zones, along with a hat, some Bleacher Report socks. It's a nice, nice little swag bag. And we want to give it away. But we can't until we get to 100. And then we'll create another swag bag and we'll give that away. So don't care whether you like the... You don't have to give us five stars if you don't want. We just need the ratings and send them along. And then we can send something along to you. In our next podcast, I'll be joined by Ryan Hollins. You know him, you love him. By the way, whose predictions for the second round were pretty damn spot on. I have a feeling we'll probably talk about that. But we need to find out who he has going to the finals now. Uh, We'll discuss that along with whatever we're hearing around the league about the fallout from the draft lottery and how it went down. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 